This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via our participating restaurants, 18 plus reward registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and time supply, see mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Podcasts, and this is another in the series of In Conversation with Interviews. And this time, it's former city manager John Ward. John was city manager from the tail end of 96-97 season through to October 98, 19 months. But what a 19 months it was, only 84 games with a more than respectable 45% win rate. And as part of that, getting promotion to what is now the championship. John took over from the failing Joe Jordan with seven games of 96-97 season remaining. And although losing his first game, he then won five in a row, which saw City make it to the playoffs, where sadly they lost at the semi-final stage to Brentford. Season 97-98 saw City up around top spot for most of the campaign. If Sean Gota hadn't been sold on the eve of the transfer deadline, then many would say that surely his goal scoring would have continued and City would have got promoted as champions rather than runners-up to Watford. That summer of 98 saw City quite active in the transfer market, but perhaps one forward too many was brought in when greater strength in defence was required. City struggled on their return to what is now the championship, and a number of games in John Ward admitted that he needed help. The experienced Ray Harford was his choice, but instead it was Benny Lennartson who the board thought fit to bring in, and Ward was gone. In this interview with John, kindly arranged by Neil Palmer, he talks not only about his time with City, but his playing career, which was in the main with Lincoln, and the success he enjoyed with the late Graham Taylor at both Watford and Aston Villa. Please listen, and I hope you enjoy. Okay, well, joining me for another of our In Conversation special pieces on the Forever Bristol City podcast is Bristol City's former manager, a man I knew very well because I was doing uh, club call and uh, even doing the old match day PA back in those days. It's uh, <laughs> John Ward. John, welcome to uh, Forever Bristol City podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much, David. It's a pleasure. Thank you. John, what I'd like to do is what I've done with everybody that I've spoken to on these one-on-ones is not only talk about their involvement with uh, Bristol City, 
but also you know their wider career and obviously we can talk today as well at the end of our conversation about the big news on this uh, European Super League that we were talking about just uh, a little yeah. bit uh, a short while ago but uh, John, you born in Lincoln, signed for your hometown club in 1970. How did you get into to football? Was it, was it in the family or were you spotted as a youngster? Just take us through those uh, early years. Yeah, I had, I had an elder brother. Uh, I have, still have, obviously. He's four years older than me. Um, but he, he was into football. My dad liked football. My mum followed into football because of all of that, which was brilliant. And... And from, I mean, I go back kind of to the age of seven, just going into my junior school and uh, played twice for my, my school at seven years old, which was brilliant in one year. And then by the time I got to the age 10, 11 in the, the final year, I was captain of the school football team and fancy, didn't wasn't great at the lessons, but was pretty decent at the football side of it. So it was it was right from an early day, an early stage and and support from the family within. My brother played local football and and, and I got into involved in doing the same. So it was from a very early age, really. And was it always going to be Lincoln? I mean, did you have other well, offers at that young age? Because Lincoln's a bit of an outwater, isn't it, over in uh, yeah, over it, in the middle of the country? It's been cold worse, but I'll take us an outwater from you. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> I I had a trial at Nottingham Forest. Um, I played for Lincolnshire Schoolboys when I was uh, under 15s. I had a trial at Nottingham Forest as I was moving on and uh, scored a couple of goals in, in terms of my trial and got a got a letter saying, would you come in? But they they signed a guy called uh, with, with, without me and uh, I, didn't, I didn't get any follow-up on that. So uh, Duncan McKenzie got signed from that day and not me, but I can understand why that was because he, he was... He was a lot better than I was, wow. but it never it never materialised. And, um, and but I played, I played kind of local football, men's football, um, at a very young age in, in Lincoln at sort of 16, uh, 15, 16. And Lincoln City began to set up a, an A team. They didn't have a youth team, an under 18 team, and or pretty much a strong reserve team. And they wanted to set one up, and, and I got invited to go involved in that. And, from that, I played and played in some reserve games and got offered a contract. So it was, and you got offered a contract, way. and I was uh, yeah. reading on uh, a piece uh, you did some time ago that uh, that's when, in uh, 1970 or 71, uh, you hung your coat, hung your uh, jacket up alongside uh, teammate and captain Graham Taylor. So that's when that long yeah. relationship that you have with Graham first yeah. began. Um, Graham Taylor became manager at the age of... Uh, 28 um you know one of the youngest managers in the game yeah. then yeah i mean did he yes, have that special did, what what was what was special about graham from that early age because he won the fourth division in 75 76 with a record points total so uh, he was yeah. barely turned 30 i'm guessing uh, i'm guessing that. that's right yeah we, we yeah we we um we, we all obviously knew each other and that was sort of my my lucky day, if you like, going into the football club and saying you're getting changed there, John, and it was next to Graham because we, we would sit and chat every morning before we went out training. And, uh, he and I were both interested in the coaching side of it. I was a bit younger than him, but I, would, I was taking a, 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 an under-11 team where, close to where I lived and the Sunday morning games and things like that, and, and, it, and it attracted my attention. We had a guy called Ian Bramfoot, who you may know of, uh, yeah, he went to Southampton back. and managed Reading for yeah, a bit, didn't he? Exactly, yeah. Played at Southampton, uh, that you say, went to there and 
uh, Sam Ellis was centre half who's, who's been involved in management. So there was a there was a group of us involved in coaching and things like that, and we we set up the Lincoln and District Football Coaches Association. And because I was the youngest of that group, that group of four or five of us, uh, I was uh, elected as the secretary. So I had pretty much all <laughs> the work to do. And we, we managed to get people like Jack Charlton down to do a coaching session on a Sunday throughout the day on, on the, the, the training pitch, which was next to the Sinsel Bank main stadium. So my my involvement in different ways of coaching and working was... Uh, you you picked it up at an early age yourself. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Absolutely loved well, it. Well, Graham yeah. Taylor's success at uh, Lincoln saw him go off to uh, yeah. Watford in 77. You followed Graham in uh, 79, but when you were at York, uh, sorry, at Lincoln, uh, you yeah. scored two well, 240 appearances, 91 goals. That was pretty yeah. damn good, I would say. You must have been well pleased with that. I was delighted with that. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of that was I sort of my job and I enjoyed doing it. And as a as a kid, I'd always been able to score goals through school games and things like that. And being able to step up and do that in, in, in football league level, albeit the, the, the sort of third and fourth divisions as they were then, was 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 really pleasing for me. And uh, I went down to Watford and because they were in the championship. And that was quite a jump from, uh, yeah. from, from yeah. League, League Four, Division Four up to there. It was Graham that took you down. Yeah. So yeah. what was what what did he need out of you? Because I think in an article I read it was some pretty good players. That Watford team was just starting to get together then. So was it that he brought you in because yeah. he knew you and you're a good, as they say, a good a good guy to have in the dressing room type of thing? <laughs> I think so. I went for the princely sum of fifteen thousand pounds, which was, uh, I don't think anybody goes for that now these days, do they? So, but I, I went. As, I went, and I knew I was going as cover for Luther Blissett and Ross Jenkins, who were the top two sort of strikers at that time. But, but I was 28, 27, 28 getting on, and I thought this is a time for me to get to a high level if I get the chance. And I, I got a number of games and half a dozen goals playing in their first team, and uh, and, and that really. Was, was the sort of pinnacle, if you like, of my playing career um, and, and playing against people like Derby County, etc., bigger clubs, Birmingham City. I made, I, I got my first goal and at, at that level. So it was, it was a higher level for me to play, knowing I wasn't going to do it every week. Yeah, well, you did, you did okay there. Twenty-seven appearances, six goals, which is not yeah. a bad return for a fringe player. But uh, obviously, your career came to an end, and then in eighty-two, uh, start of eighty-two season. Uh, Graham said, come and join my coaching staff. And I said, I didn't realise it. What a successful first season that was because he'd taken uh, Watford from uh, Division 4 right up to the top level. And that first yeah. season you were there, you were runners up in yeah. the Premiership, to give it its modern day term. Tell us about what your recollections are of that season. Well, it was it was trying to win it, which <laughs> was, was incredibly crazy. You know, I, I spent my, as you just said, my, my playing career lower down the, the levels and, and going in there and um, really enjoyed the competitive side of that. And for, for a club that had just got promoted the previous year, that I think that was the highest that anyone's ever done it since for, in their first season in the top league. So it was it was a fantastic way going. I'm going to Manchester United. I'm going to Liverpool. I've never did those as a player, obviously, but going as a champ, as, as a coach and working with a team and a club was was really exciting for me and, and and coming second got us into Europe the following season so we we managed to play games in Europe the following season and then in 84 we, we got to the FA Cup final and my, my sort of 
jokey line on that to anybody is that I might as well have retired then because I think who's going to do better than that? Well, absolutely not. And, and, and those first three years on the coaching side with, with, with Graham officially were, were, were fantastic. One learning curve, but two. What, what did you experience. think? What did you and Graham think of the fact that it was sort of thrown at you that Watford were very much uh, a long ball team, very. Uh, very direct, you know, and it doesn't, yes. I mean, you probably played a sort of football that fans would crave for uh, today, but um, long ball yeah. game, harsh or just people jealous it was effective? Well, Graham was at the point, was why, why take 20 passes when you can take two or three and get towards the opposition goal? And, and yeah, it sounds like long football, but we, we had people like, as you say, Blissett played for England. We had Kenny Jackie who played for Wales. We had international John Barnes came into that team who played for England and people know about. So they had internationals. Nigel Callahan played on the right wing as an England under 21 international. We had good players. You know, it was so it was a it was about that as much as the way that we played. And, and people didn't, didn't particularly like us that we were, we were quite aggressive, but not in a in a in a in a violent way but aggressive in our football we, we're coming for your goal and we come in as quick as we can and, it, and if you've got a chance to put a cross in put it in and, and that's what, how we worked we, we didn't want an extra pass if players were in the penalty box put the ball in there and see if we can score a goal from it and if not try it again later so that, it, it, yeah. yes it was called direct but it, it, we, filled, we filled our stadium and our, our supporters loved it Yeah. now one thing I've been reading uh Elton John's uh, biography. Well, I had it not Christmas last year, the year before, but it's one of those books yeah. that you pick it up and read it in spurts. He was obviously your very flamboyant chairman uh, there. And I read one article that uh, he delivered the match ball by helicopter once or something, <laughs> but that, that uh, Watford was very much a friendly family club. It's very much in yeah. a, a built up area. And I read that Elton, himself, and Graham and the other directors all used to get fish and chips in the boardroom after games. It was just a nice, friendly atmosphere. What was it like with, with Elton? Because, yeah, it's a really interesting reading about his life. And I'm sure you've seen the film as well, Rocket Man. Yeah. And what, what was he like as a character? You know, was he, was he complex? Was he not what people see on the stage or read all about him? How, how, how was he? As a, as, a, as a chairman, I guess, probably, yeah. he was a fan first and foremost, wasn't he? Absolutely, he was a fan first and foremost. And and, and I only saw him in that football context as, as well. So, you know, he would come in his flamboyant clothes and he was in the dressing room and and, and everybody called him chairman. There was no sort of first names, but he knew, the, he knew the players obviously really, really well. And his football knowledge was was excellent. You know, he knew about the game and and uh, he, he, he won his early days he wanted to sit on the bench and Graham wouldn't let him so he said no he couldn't sit on there not dressed like that anyway so but he, he didn't do but he he was a massive supporter of the football club and home in a way would, would go and obviously going away was kind of a bit difficult for him sometimes with other people but he he, he took that as as, as a, a way of life sometimes but he, he was very much involved in what we were trying to do and uh, we, uh, we 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 had different sort of experiences with him and supporting the team and supporting the players and, and Graham obviously got great support from him. Yeah, no, no, interesting times. Well, Graham's success um, took him uh, to Aston Villa in the summer of uh, 87. Was it, yeah. did, did you follow him straight away or were you part of, uh, you know, did you stay on for a little bit? Because it was quite a little group of you because it was Steve Harrison, 
as well yeah. and yourself and a number of other yeah. in that team or was was t- tell us how you came to follow him to, to okay. go to Villa yeah, well Steve Steve Harrison wasn't under contract he and I were sort of first team coaches he wasn't under contract and I was I don't know how that worked with Steve but Steve was able to leave immediately and go up with Graham I was still under some contract waited to see what was going to happen uh, Dave Bassett came in didn't want me uh, brought his own staff in so I had to move out but by that stage, the, the Aston Villa thing had been set up. So it wasn't sort of work, didn't work for me to immediately just get on the bus or get in my car and go up to, to, to Birmingham. Within six months, Watford hadn't worked for Dave Bassett and they moved him on and they went for Steve Harrison. So Steve Harrison moved back to the manager of Watford and Graham rang me and said, do you want to come up to Aston Villa? So the whole thing moved around again. Right, and, OK. And I, so this was roundabouts. New uh, Year, January. 88, because Graham, yeah. with, with your support in, in the second half of that season, yeah. he got Villa back up to the Premier yeah. League, yeah? Which was, yeah, uh, we who, did, who, yeah. was in the, who was in the Villa side back in the, those days? I'm just trying to think, was it people like Tony Daly and Gary Shaw? Yeah. No, that was, that was long gone, Gary Shaw. But yeah. who, who, were the, who were the stars of that Villa team that got promoted? Back T- Tony, Tony Daly, certainly, because he, he went on to play for, for, for England after that. But we, we, we had some... We had a couple of uh, really strong people. Paul McGrath from Manchester United McGrath, came at one yeah. stage, and a little a little later, Graham brought him in, and he was he was a fantastic player. We had a young guy called Paul Birch, bless him, who's passed away now. But yeah. Paul was a was a local boy. He was a was a running, hardworking winger type person, and the sort of player that Graham loves. Really hardworking player, and 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 a, and a good lad. And then we you know, we brought in one or two other guys that would come and make us a bit stronger and make us a work. But but it was a it wasn't a, t- a team full of names that everyone would yeah. instantly recognise. As you say, they were in the second division, yeah. well, as it was then, the second division. Yeah. But different. I've been to Villa Park when it's full. I mean, it's that you, you were elevating yourself on a day-to-day basis to a much yeah. bigger football stage, weren't you, from that perspective? Yeah. Yes, it was. With a great respect to, to, to Watford, it was. It was a bigger, bigger stadium, etc. And, and but. Having said that, we we also you know we'd been into Europe with Watford, so they, they we, we managed to do yeah. that. But that was the same thing. The same thing happened at Aston Villa. We got, well, you, got you finished that seat. You got them promoted, and uh, yeah. and, and yeah. you finished second at the first time of asking in the Champions again in the Premier. Did League. the same, did the same thing again. <laughs> got into Europe, so so it, the experiences were absolutely brilliant. You know, so we yeah we went to play off in into some European games also, and. and and played Milan at home, which again was exciting, and and that was really you know part and part. Big things were happening, and, and and so it was it was a fantastic experience for me as a learning curve. Yeah. Graham was getting closer with it, doing a little bit of work with the under twenty ones and things like that, and and was was developing a bit of an international interest to, uh, for for his career. But at the same time, Aston Villa really sort of pushed on and improved from 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 Graham going in there, and I. I picked up on that. It was, it was different. Graham had learned to be different to how he was at Watford. Watford were players we we brought in. We'd, we'd immediately gone into to Aston Villa and got international players and top players. And, and instead of working maybe for an hour and a half, we'd do sessions of three to 30 minutes. So yeah. it was like, John, John, you take half an hour, do a bit of training, do a bit of passing and shooting. I'll come in and do a bit of team shape then come back and do a bit of this. And, and so we... We varied the training, and Graham was clever at that. Where he was, he wasn't the same 
person as he was at Watford, if you see what I mean, just in terms of how he developed and how he'd worked with his players. He yeah. moved on, he knew... And he had, even though he played all his football at the lower level, by the time yeah. he got to Villa, he yeah. had that track record of success that when he walked yeah. into the dressing room, and what he'd done with Watford, because as you say, he'd yeah. taken Watford all the way through, and he yeah. nurtured players and brought players on. You were well, probably even back then, the players didn't have the egos that they have now, even a club like uh, Villa. No. But to, to no, that, Graham's success there, in the summer of 90, he left for uh, the England manager's job. Um, he was succeeded by Joseph Wengloss, your probably your yeah. first interaction with uh, uh, a foreign manager. And I read a piece you did for uh, the Watford Observer a couple of years ago, maybe now, that uh, Joseph Wengloss seemed to use you as uh, his interpreter because his English wasn't the greatest, was it? His English was actually okay um, to a, to a degree. You know, he could he could talk to people and they could get them to understand. But he had this he had these moments where he he uh, he didn't speak English and he didn't want to. He, he wasn't really that comfortable with it. So all his sort of uh, press meetings and things like that, I I would sit alongside him and and chat to the press. I'd got to know the press lads in the Midlands. Um, you know, it was a it was a major country part there where, where there's you know it wasn't it was now where the, the, there was a lot of printing going on it was a major area for for national newspapers and so we had the, a lot of national coverage from the midlands and i i would sit and help him initially but sit afterwards and he'd go right that's it he'd get up and go and i'd stay with the press and for another 10 minutes or so and they'd, they'd say go on then Wardy, what what's he really doing who's <laughs> is he going to is he going to play this game? Or is he going to do this? Is he going to do that? And, and I, 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 I just helped him out really in terms of doing that. But he, he, he had he had a little bit of weariness of the press. Maybe that's something that happened to him earlier in his life. Yeah. Did um, you ever have a chance to? Did Graham ever say there's something for you in the England setup? I mean, because did he take Steve? Was Steve Harrison? Did Steve Harrison yeah. follow him? Steve Harrison yeah. went there as well. And I mean, again, you can have a a coaching entourage at national level. Was there ever a chance of doing that? Or was it sort of that that, that chance didn't uh, materialise? It didn't happen on a, on a permanent basis as it did with Steve. I, I, I went with the England under-21s to Toulon in the south of France on a tournament for, for two years, 1991, um, working with Ray Harford. One, one year we went down, I went as Ray, Ray Harford's assistant, bless him, and uh, we, we, we won it. And uh, the, the score of the, the goal in the final against France was Alan Shearer. Uh, so very young Alan Shearer. Uh, then moved on to Blackburn Rovers, <laughs> as, as did Ray Harford, funnily enough. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so there was a contact there. And then the, the next year, I, I took the under-21s with Phil Neal, the Liverpool fullback, and we, we played in the same competition. Didn't get that far in terms of getting to the final, but at a, a good season. So I had, I had some nice experience of working with with, with those uh, that, those sort of level of players in England under twenty one internationals. So yeah, I just I, I, I helped out and worked along, and but it gave me, as you say, invaluable knowledge. And, and as you say, working with if you like established players like Phil yeah. Neal, but from Graham's yeah. perspective you'd be probably because he knew you you'd have that chat about this player and that player at that yeah. lower level and you'd almost be his eyes and ears in that now when uh, the the york city manager's job came up this is in 91 so were you uh, between jobs then at that time or were you were you coaching somewhere you left villa when this opportunity came or yeah this was, this was when i'd come out of yeah when i'd come out of aston villa my sort of longest period out of the game really in terms of uh, permanent work i'd, I'd 
sort of lost that job at Aston Villa in the January and this was getting into the pre-season had gone for the yeah. next season. So that I'm thinking, well, I'm going to have to wait till gone Christmas now uh, if I'm going to be lucky. But this one cropped up in the November and uh, I, I applied for it. I, I was, I'd, I'd spoken to Graham. The word is, and Graham had never told me this, but the word is that Graham had spoken to the chairman at York and put a good word in for me. I'd never asked him to. He never told me he had, and we've never, we've never had that conversation, but that's kind of a story that's gone around. Anyway, I, I was offered the job in the November and started off in my, my managerial career there then, which was... So that was right back down club. to a Lincoln yeah. City equivalent in the uh, early days. Yeah. And, yes, it uh, was. So yeah. that was sort of, that was the second half of, uh, not, well, the 92-93 season, you got yeah. them towards the playoffs, but then a certain other Bristol club came knocking. Is that what happened? Because I, I, I read yeah. that you were on the verge of the playoffs and then yeah. they eventually got there, but you, you'd set them up to do that. And... Bristol Rovers came knocking. Is that is that what happened, or yeah. how, how yeah, did they you did? No, the that's, that's exactly that, no, that is what happened. I, I I worked at York. York didn't offer contracts, and I that happened to me a number of times in my in my career. And I worked without a contract as the manager at York. And we were we'd gone to the top of the league. We'd we'd won nine and drawn one out of the first ten, which was a fantastic start. I'd got manager of the month a couple of times, and so the the, the word was sort of getting around that we were we were. A, bit of a team to, 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 to be, be talked about. I spoke with the chairman at, uh, at York City and we said the situation we were in, he invited me around to, to his house for lunch on a Sunday, I knocked on his door and he opened it and he said, am, am I going to invite you in or not? <laughs> I, I was with my wife as well, which was kind of it was a bit embarrassing. So what do you mean if I'm going or not? And he went, yes. And I, and I said, no, I'm going to stay. So he let me in and we had Sunday lunch together. But I just wondered <laughs> if I'd said no, if it, if it had shut the door on me and kicked me out. But I stayed and but Watford, uh, sorry, they, but, uh, they came back in again for me, Bristol Rovers, excuse me. Came back was that in Jeff, again That was me. Jeff Dunford, wasn't it? Back yes, then, it yeah. was. Uh, Jeff, he's a lovely yeah, guy, yeah. Jeff. He's another yes. one that's gone now, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, his father was the chairman, and, but Jeff was the, the runner and the organiser of yeah. the club, if you see what I mean. And they, yeah. they came in again and made me an offer and I, in the end I said that I said to the chairman I'm going to go because I, I could under the circumstances but he, he stuck his uh, he stuck a problem in for me took out a, 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 a he was a magistrate himself so he knew the law took out a, 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 an injunction on me to stop me going and oh. made, managed to get 10 managed to get 10,000 pounds out of the rovers and, and then I could go on the on the job a couple of weeks later but uh, it was yeah that, that that taught me other lessons as well so when you when you got to the Rovers, I mean that's uh, other than Chuck yeah. Town, you, you were manager of Rovers for uh, yeah. one hundred and fifty five uh, games. There you yeah, were, yeah. their fourth manager in two years. You succeeded uh, Mark uh, McGee, I think it was. Um, yes. What uh, what? Um, no, sorry, that was the second time you came to Rovers. What, yes, what was, was the brief? Uh, yes. What was the brief when you got to? Uh, what was the brief when you got to Rovers in ninety three? Was it sort of championship? goal to get there or, or, or what? Tell me about that. It, need, it needed tidying up a little bit to, to, to be respectful to it. It was, I, uh, I, the brief was to try and just calm the place down a little bit because we were, we were going to get relegated. We had, we had nine games left when I went in, something like that. We had, we had to win seven of them, which we hadn't won seven, I think, all season. So that was a, a really tall order. But it was just calming the place down a little bit. Um, I'd gone in after Malcolm Allison and uh, 
and there was one or two sort of situations. We worked in porter cabins. We, we That surprised me. I didn't do my homework enough in terms of the club. I hadn't realised that we were working out of uh, porter cabins. We were working within a in a sort of a good good training grounds, but we had no yeah. showers. We, no, we, we were given two sets of kits, all of us, at the beginning of the season, and that was it. Look after your own kit. So you bring it in, take it home, wear it, and whatever you do with it. Yeah. Um, and they, were they playing over at Twerton by then? I think they were. Yeah. They? yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't. Yeah, we didn't have anything. I I, I called us the beggars, stealers, and borrowers because we <laughs> we didn't have a thing. We didn't own anything. They. The, the the kit man blessing me he had to take all the kit over on the on morning the day before the game move everything around at Bath City I I didn't as I said I didn't know all this or recognise all this at the, the the strength of it but we made it as I say the beggars steals and borrows we made it an area where we had to come together we 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 had to be the people the players I mean had to be the people that had the had the big respect for everything that was going on and we had six thousand people which was fantastic you know my first day was a, my first game I drove in and there were cars parked all the way driving into Bath and right outside the ground but they couldn't get into the, it wasn't a big enough car park and yeah. they were there from 12 o'clock the fans were there and there were 6,000 people who used to come from Bristol and Bristol Rovers to watch their team play in, a, in another town another city and with, with, with different facilities different situations and, 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 and it just triggered me my my chairman and his wife parked next to me as I parked the car up for that first game and were taking sandwiches and cakes out the boot of their car, which was done for the boardroom. So everybody was playing a part and it sort of struck me as if say, right, instead of thinking, gosh, this is a tough one, it's it was how can I make this work? And so yeah. the, the, the foot and, and, and everybody wanted to make it work. So it was it was a really good experience, good working. Were, for me. I, I, I guess because you, you, they they were in uh, what division were they in back then? Were they in? Uh, we're just getting relegated. Yeah, we're just getting relegated to go into D Division Three. I was either going to go up with York or down with Rovers into the third division. So, so back, it, got it, got it back down. Yeah. There. So so you yeah. went there, and as you say, you stabilised it. Now I seem to recall back in '96 when you left them. Was it that, and this is, again, you, you remember stories from back at the time, was it that you were approached by another club? I think it might have been Luton Town, which you're entitled yeah. to talk to other options. And that was sort of like, and you left and there was no real reason. for How, how come you left, left the gas? Because it didn't seem fair. And that's speaking as a, as a City fan, looking at what was going yeah, on. Yeah, well, well when, when we'd got, when we'd got to, to Wembley to the playoff final and played Huddersfield Town, uh, Neil Warnock, who was the manager of Huddersfield, had said to me uh, after the game, funny afterwards, we'd obviously just we'd just got beat 2-1, uh, but we'd taken, I don't know, they said 35,000 people plus whatever to, to, to Wembley, which was a fantastic achievement in, in, in itself. But we, we couldn't quite get the promoted bit with the, on the pitch. I spoke to Neil afterwards and he told me he was leaving the club. What did I want the job? No, so you can't give me the job, Neil. Um, and and that the club came in actually and, and, and made an offer, made a, an approach towards me, which the club had, our club had turned down, which I didn't know how to deal with that. So I, I, I kind of left it and, and I thought, well, I, I, it may be what, is, what ifs and what, I, but I, I stayed with Bristol Rovers, which was, was fine because I didn't say so I didn't know how to deal with it. Then it happened again in the around Christmas time. Uh, when when the Luton came in and and I I did and go this and is speak Christmas to them. Christmas '96, isn't it? Yes, is that right? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And I did go and speak to them and I didn't get the job. But I think the feeling then was that I 
I'd given the feeling then that I wanted to leave. If uh, not, yeah. I didn't do that, but but they the, the club felt that way about me, um, I, I believe, and that's what happened in the summer. So it was a, uh, it was it was a bit of everything in the terms of that. And we we we, we didn't make we made the playoffs as I say the second year, the third year we didn't quite make it. I think we finished ninth, I think. Yeah. Um, but we 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 didn't uh, we didn't make it, and and the club didn't extend my contract, and I, no. I kind of understand that, you know, I, I, but I. I but anyway, then never way. mind the gas, never mind the gas, although you do go back and <laughs> talk about that briefly as well. But then Joe yeah. Jordan had been back for his uh, second uh, spell at Bristol City. It hadn't gone as well as uh, the first. Um, and he was uh, relieved of his duties uh, around about April 97. Yeah. City weren't in a bad position. Um, how did you come to join City? Because you were available, you had a track record of success and... You know, you you had a track record of success as an assistant and a good record in your own right. How did the uh, city move come about in uh, in the April of '97? Okay, from leaving the Rovers job and, and wondering where I was going to go next, I, I, I got a call from a, a guy called Adrian Heath, who had been a player at Aston Villa and uh, and, a, and a good player at that, who was now manager of Burnley. And uh, he 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 rang me and said, uh, "I'm looking for a coach. Do you want to do you want to come up? Do you, you're available. Do you want to come up and come do some work with me?" I said, "Okay." And again, it was without a contract um, because my my view was to try and get back into management. And I wanted to try and do that. He knew that. Um, we I worked as his as I was called assistant manager, but I I did pretty much the majority of the coaching there with him. He, he was only in his first year from leaving Aston Villa as a player. Um, so I really enjoyed that responsibility. We, we did pretty well. Um, I got involved in signing a player or two and things like that. With him. Not, not signing them, but talking about them to Adrian. So I was getting very much involved with the management side of that. We did well when, then I think it was, was it the, what time, when was it? The March, again, deadline day, a de deadline area, I think, when, when City came in and made that decision that they were doing. And I, and I got a shout, would you like to come down? And Burnley were brilliant. And, so and they, let you, they were quite happy, yeah, quite yeah, happy for you to do that. And when, when you were at Rovers, because you're from uh, up north, as they say, had you lived in Bristol during that time when you were at yeah. Rovers? You had. So you, it was yeah. a place, you knew the players oh, yeah. and, the, and the city. So it was oh, a chance yeah. to come in. Now, what an end to the season that was, because City were on the fringe. <laughs> you lost your first game. Yeah. but then you won five in a row and I can remember one yeah. match I was travelling back from the north and that was in the days when I used to do well club call and uh, a PA on match days and stuff and uh, I think you clinched a playoff place beating Chesterfield at home 2-0 I think it was a midweek game yeah yeah. Um, yes. what 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 was the atmosphere like at City in the dressing room? Joe had gone. They were there or thereabouts, you know, and the team was quite an established established bunch. I mean, how did you how did you inspire them to that five winning match sequence? OK, well, I've got one, one story before I go and answer that was my my first day and my first game was was Gillingham with Tony Pulis. <laughs> and and uh, I. I got down to the stadium for the first game, obviously all ready to go. And the chairman said to me, do you, want, do you want to come into the bar room, the bar area and say hello to the fans? And I went, yeah, of course, I'm not going to say no to that. And went in with him. And um, on my introduction, I got a few applause and a few boos at the same time, all from city people. 
by the way, because oh, of the, the gas, the gas connection. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so it was kind of hang on, we we don't know this guy, but we, we don't really want him, sort of thing. I lost that game one nil as well. So the, the the start, if you like, the immediate start wasn't good. Went to that second game, the next game, and I had two of my back four suspended. Yeah. Um, and so I went with which I hadn't done a lot of before I played a bit of it. I went with a, a, a three-five-two or a five at the back and full backs pushing on sort of thing, which I hadn't really done. Won the game and then won the next four with the same team shape and the same work. So we worked on it and got it done. So I think that kind of change inspired some of the players. Oh, this is different. This is good. And 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 yet I, I sit here and confess it wasn't my wasn't my chosen way of going about it. it was, I was forced into it, but I was a coach. So, yes, I can do As that. Yeah. Must, you make do yeah. with the tools. Had to do it. You've got to make my selections. And the, the players responded really well. So, I think them going to win the next five games was obviously a massive incentive for everybody you know, to, to think that oh, we've done all right. We're, we're, the, the players got a bit of confidence back. I think it gave them a bit of confidence in me to think, okay, he's done all right, he knows what he's doing, and, and we went on from there. So you had one good little fullback back then in those days. You sadly left you in that close season, but replaced by another, which we'll talk about in a minute. Darren Barnard, what a player he was, wasn't he, as a as a left back? Good football, good footballer, yeah, and and, and a good lad as well. You know, you yeah, so it's an easy thing to say because he did well for me and stuff like that. But but a good footballer with a good attitude towards what we were trying to do. And and yeah, players will see changes of managers and changes of coaches and changes of their teammates really. And it is how they conduct themselves. And he was a he was an excellent professional footballer. And when time came to you know people said we other people took interest in him, we 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 had to support him in that and and, and allow it to happen. But. Good, great, great person to have where, around. Where did, he, I did he go to Barnsley or did he go to... Uh, yes, I think he did, yeah. He did, he went up there because he was yeah. a London boy. He was a London boy originally because yeah. he was ex-Chelsea. Yeah. Ex Good little player. Now, I, I was at the final game of that season, which was Wickham away, which um, we lost that one 2-0. Um, but the, the thing is, I guess that made the difference between being Brentford home in the second leg rather than yeah. in the first leg, Yeah. I mean, again, yeah. as a manager, I, or as a, as a fan, I always think it's better to be at home in the second leg because if you've got to recover a reverse, you've got the crowd behind you. That wouldn't apply this year, of course. But is it is it that critical? Because you, you played home first. You lost, I went to both games and it was, I know you lost 4-2 on aggregates, 2-1 in both. But was that critical finishing just below Brentford that season? Which you wouldn't have done had you... Beaten, beaten, uh, beaten Wickham. Yeah, but we were, we were we were happy to be there because I think we were sort of ninth or tenth when I first went into the club, and it was it was purely the, no one spoken to me about getting in the playoffs. Particularly, they just said we want to stabilise the football club, and and that was my sort of job. But getting in there, and I, I, I I've written somewhere as well that I did one where I think it was a bit too early for us, and as, as a team and, a, and as a as a club, really, we we weren't strong enough. So I don't think the homes and away is that time made a difference. Because interestingly enough, we'd, we'd played crew when I was at Bristol Rovers, drew nil-nil at home. And I had people, important people in the club, saying to me, oh, that's about it then, John, we're not going to make it, are we? And I went, yeah, but when we go away, the away goals count double, which they did then. And if we go away and score at crew, they've got to get two to, and, and so on and so on. So, so I, I think playing at home sometimes has a nervous attraction to it in the playoffs. 
and 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 unless you get a good start and then it just boosts the confidence so yeah i don't know i don't answer the I, question, well, I, I don't remember know. again you know it's around about that time when i about 10 years previously we played warsaw when they had david kelly remember him he seemed to yes I do. Feel like I steve Paul always lived to score against bristol city yeah. and we played a home leg at home and it, we lost 3-1 david kelly got and you're thinking well there's no point in going up to warsaw for the yeah. second leg but we went up there and won 2-0 yeah. which made it three and that was in the days when you had a playoff. Uh, yeah, within forty-eight hours, we lost a penalty shootout, and then that was the right who had yeah. the who had home advantage. We went up to Walsall on the Monday, and we were four three nil down after twenty minutes. Game over. Well, there we go. <laughs> anyway, your yeah. close season at Bristol City. Um, you know they're saying right, let's go for it in 97, 98 season. And in fairness, I'm looking at the players that. You bought in because in those days there were no chief executives, the agents yeah. probably weren't there like they are now. But you went out and bought Mickey Bell for 150 grand from Wickham, Sean yeah. Dyche for 250 from Chesterfield, and they got to the semi finals of the cup that year. Colin yeah. Cram, he scored. Yeah. he scored a penalty, didn't he? Did. he? Yeah, that's right. Colin mm -hmm. Cram, 250 yeah. grand from Doncaster, and Steve Torpy, 400k from, uh, from Swansea. Um, but at that time, you already had. Sean Gota there as well, because he'd come in the previous summer. Those four players, I would say two of them were absolute stars. One never really did it for City. And when I looked at Steve Torpy, actually, 19 goals in eight games, sorry, eight goals in 19 games that season. It wasn't that bad after all, but how did you target players and buy those players? I'm guessing Bell was a straight replacement for Darren Barnard, but how did you do that player acquisition in that summer? Okay, well, my, my throughout my sort of managerial side of career, I, I used to go to games myself in terms of watching players and things like I did have a couple of lads who did scouting work for me, um, who came with me from, from Lincoln through my, my career and, and were my backup guys in terms of knowledge and information. But looking at players and looking at things, I, I, got, a, I got a list of players who were available out of contract, etc., or available for transfer coming up and things like that, that we had, that you had to buy. And, and that obviously fitting in with personnel positions that I needed, like Mickey Bell at left back and Sean Dyche at centre back and things like that. But yep, they're going to make us stronger. They're going to make us better. And Colin Cram was the leading goal scorer at Doncaster Rovers. And so, yep, he can score goals, this kid at this level. And so, so good. And that, I'd, I'd worked on that basis as well as knowing them, but looking at their records, have they got good Non, non sort of injured references as well. Did they play enough games, etc.? Going quite deep into the situation and looking at it, but in players that in positions that we needed, or I felt would strengthen the, the group, and that's that's how I did it. Brought them in and paid, and paid it, the money. I was given money to spend and spent it. And who was chairman back then? Was it was it Scott? Was Scott Davis yes. chairman? Yeah, so Scott he was there in, you know, I know that's how many years ago is it now? Twenty-four years ago. That's still decent money back then, wasn't yeah. it? For for a yeah. League One club that wasn't yeah. exactly flush with cash, were we? Yeah. Well, no, we weren't. No, but I think he trusted me at that one time as well. So it was it was fine. And and we 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 looked to strengthen the group. As I say, we'd got good young players like like Tommy Doherty down there, people like Scott Murray, a good good pro, and people are good. Rob Edwards, good solid professional. And of course, at the back, you got Sean Taylor, who was you know, well, Sean, everybody's favourite. there, and I guess, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at, looking at the appearances that uh, 
players made in the early start of the season because you got off to a good start. I'm reading in the history that you you were still then playing 5-3-2 and then yeah. you switched it and things started to pick up. But did Sean Dyche, because a Sean Dyche, Sean Taylor central combo, was that, yeah. was, but did, because Sean didn't start the season because you had Scott Patterson playing. Scott Patterson did, yeah. And yeah. did Sean, was Sean injured then pre-season or something? Yeah, and then, yeah he was early on, yeah. He only, played about, he only played about 10 games that whole season. So one of your... I call it hallmark or marquee signings from a defensive standpoint. He just wasn't available for you, was he? No, he wasn't in terms of that. But let, let me tell you about Sean, a story. When I, my first day of pre-season training, we did a we did an indoor circuit of exercises on a on a time basis and a, and a an account basis. So if he was doing sort of uh, step ups or press ups or whatever, how many can you do in what amount of minutes? And we did a sit-up situation on abdominals, and it was like six minutes. Can it, the whole thing goes for six minutes? So there are different players working on different things in the room. And Sean Dyche had gone on to the sit-up situation, and no one had completed more than three or four minutes on it because it was increased as it goes on. So, and Sean was on it, and, and he went through. I think, in fact, I think Lewis Carey did about forty seconds. Bless him. But <laughs> we went on. I was counting Sean myself and it got to like one minute gone, Sean, and it got quicker, two minutes and it got quicker, three minutes, so on and so on. And no, and suddenly the whole room had stopped at about four minutes and Sean Dyche had captured the attention of every player, which is fantastic as a manager and a coach. I'm now leaning up the wall watching my new signing, going through these sit-ups and thinking, blimey, he can't do it, can he, the six minutes? And he did. He did the full six minutes, took a took a huge cheer and a round of applause from his teammates. And, and I'm still leaning up the wall thinking, what a good signing I've made here. It, and it wasn't about him playing. It was just about his attitude yeah, as a yeah. coach. And, and I think you see that now as a manager at Burnley. And how and he's, he's done a great job. Magnificent. Uh, and and he, he, he established that what I wanted from that group on that morning. And, and, and I was able to come back to that sometimes during the season. So... And Dash, he hasn't done those that six minutes for this. So it's good. Let's go and pick it up. Let's do this and do that. So fantastic person, and, and he's gone on to do fantastic things. But we we saw it early in his career at our football club. Yeah, no, he's a good. He's a good chap. He's a good chap. Well, as as that yeah. season went on, you were constantly building there. You you've got. I've got hit. Well, I remember it. A run of nine successive victories, eight in yeah. the league. Yeah, was ended only yeah. ended by a reverse at. Uh, Bournemouth in the FA Cup and you were running it was interesting that season you were running head to head with Watford I remember going yeah. to Watford for a game it was just a couple of weeks 10 days before Christmas in that season and it was 1-1 I think Sean Gocha scored for us and there was a whole yeah. city took the whole away end now I think it was about 7,000 yeah. City fans and I think Watford have a bloke was it Noel Gifton Williams I think it was or something like that got an equaliser but that was you know the momentum was there and the side was settled as well. I mean, I'm just looking from yes. January onwards, you know, there's very few changes. I'm just reading through, you know, uh, Welsh, uh, Locke, Nicky yeah. Bell, Goodridge, Taylor, Carey, Hewitt, uh, Matt Hewitt rather, Gary Adams with us, Steve Torpicram, good old Brian uh, Tinian. I mean, one player, a bit of an unsung hero, actually. Um, I thought he was a good player. Adam Locke at right back, you know, yeah. he didn't he didn't score, he scored a couple of goals that season, but good, honest, 
pro, right back, he'd give 110% every game, wouldn't he? Yeah, they would absolutely, and 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 it's like you say, it's people like Adam that probably don't get the headlines. Obviously, you know, being a right back or whatever, but he was he was important to me in his terms of his attitude and his approach. And what you saw on a on a Saturday or a Tuesday night was what I saw every day at the training ground and and his approach to to being there. He he was he was kind. Of, and don't get this wrong. It was like me as a player. I wanted to try and just have a go at the higher level, and and, and Adam was the same. He wanted to get as as good as he could and as high as he could, and and we we were his sort of either his stepping stone or his level, whatever he, whatever it turned out to be. And he he absolutely epitomised what I wanted from my team. I knew that when he put the shirt on and went out there, I was going to get everything he could offer me. Didn't always work, which he doesn't do with people, but you, I knew I could rely on his attitude and his approach. And that rubs off on people like Greg Greg Goodridge, who who, who probably played in front of, of Adam as well and, and wide on the right sometimes. You think, go on, you can do that. And that was that was really, really important too. And Mickey, Mickey Bell, 10 goals that season from yeah. a, a wing-back in modern-day parlance. I'm guessing most of those were uh, dead ball situations. I mean, when Mickey used yeah. to line up, you know, there were certain positions on or around the penalty area where you thought, well, he's going to score from here. And he did that 10 times, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Did well with that. They had Brian Tinian with a good left foot as well. And they they, they were very strong on my left-hand side. And Brian enjoyed playing that that in, inside midfield position, sort of 20, 20 yards maybe off the touchline, which allowed Mickey Bell to go wide of him and, and provide us with the width. Brian Tinian didn't really give us the width, but he gave us the passes and he gave us the 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 the, the central sort of. He, he would know when to sit when Mickey Bell went flying past and and, and, and accepted that Mickey Bell was going to get the the the, the, the crossing or the shotting or the passing, and he would he would fill in the position. So it was a, a really good combination on the left hand side that uh, that that, uh, that both of them filled extremely well. And, and Keith Welsh played in every Keith Welsh played in goal in every game yeah. part of the final game of the season. I mean, he was he was a damn good keeper, wasn't he, for a good yeah. good number of years and had a good uh, had a good career in football overall. Did uh, Keith, didn't he? Yeah, I think. I mean, we've got a group of players there that came to the fore in together in that season, and and, and like I said, it, it, we'd had, we'd put it together the year before a bit, and then the summer and and built it up. And that that run of games came came after a defeat, I think, at Gillingham that you've just mentioned there, where we put a run of games together where we 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 moved on and improved, and and from there the the, the team and the group grew together to go and and and, and improve the, the situation that we were in. So. And then as we got on, and, then and everybody says at that time, Sean Taylor with the headband, you need yeah. leaders, you need leaders yeah. like that in yeah. the game. I guess your clubs at Villa and Watford, and even further back, Lincoln, you know, you have yeah. one player that can raise the rest of them. Yeah. Is that, and Sean performed that role at City, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, you have one player that's always your captain, but you can have three or four captains. For, for in different ways, if you see what I mean. And Sean, Sean was a leader of, of people and a player. Sean Dyche was a leader, people and a player. Brian Tinian was a leader in a different way, and, yeah. and things like that of, of, of getting people lifting people up when that it hadn't quite worked out for you, you know, or getting people get onto people if they weren't quite doing what you wanted them to, and 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 leading by example themselves, so that people come back. So hang on, you're telling me to do that, you don't do it. No one could point that finger at Sean Taylor or Sean Dyche. Or Sean Dyche, for that matter. Yeah. 
Right, yeah. those captains, if you like, of the of the group, and Sean Taylor was excellent. Yeah. So, I mean, come the uh, transfer window, and this is pivotal to me. Uh, this was the difference between winning the league and still getting promoted, but uh, but coming second. Uh, Sean Gota had joined yeah. before your arrival, 150 grand from Rotherham. Um, was it Man City came knocking and offered half a million quid? Yeah. Yeah. Was it Man City you went to, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, they, were they, you, were you not... I mean, were you consulted <laughs> or was it just, look, this is too good an offer to turn down? Because you went out, I mean, Sean Gota, he played 28 games. Yeah. Because he wasn't fit all the time and the goals were reasonably shared. 28 games, 17 league goals. Yep. That's a phenomenal record. And then yep. 21st of March, I think, was his last game for the club. Sorry, 24th. That was the eve of transfer deadline. So you had about another yep. 10 or 12 games to go. Um, you know, did, did it come as a surprise? Were you consulted? Right. Um, one question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, 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 it happened in the beginning of that week. The Thursday was the deadline day. At the beginning of the week, we'd had a, had an inquiry. I just said no, because they'd come through to me. They done it. They did it properly. They came through to me, and I said no. And then not going to do it because we, we're in a good position. Came through again. I said no. Improved an offer, and, and then it went round the other way. It got to it got to the the hierarchy at our club, and uh, I, I was at a presentation on the Thursday lunchtime, one that we did every month. And uh, I think it was supporter of the month, player of the month thing. And I was at that and got a, got a phone call. So the club's going to sell Sean Gota. You better get here quick. And I, I drove down to the club and it, it, it happened. It done, been sorted out. We'd, we'd, I didn't know the fee. I didn't know what happened. They'd gone elsewhere to, to, to talk to people and, uh, and, and Sean Gota had wanted to go. And I understood. Well, I guess once a player wants to go, you can't stand yeah. in their way, can you? No, no, but Sean was an extremely intelligent young man and, and a very fair young man. And I'd explained to him, look, I've had this offer. I'm not going to, don't want you to go. We're in a good position of getting promoted. We can get up ourselves. So we could do it at the end of the season, Sean, if it, if it becomes a big thing and stuff like that. But stop and help us get promoted. That will improve, improve your situation and what have you. And, and, I, and I get it when, when they've, they've come in and tempted him and stuff like that. But, but our club said yes. And, and, and I... I wasn't no, which was a shame, him. really, because I guess when he was signed, he was on a three-year yeah. contract. So he just still had a year to go anyway, and you yeah. could let him go, as yeah. you say, in the summer. Yeah. And, okay, we'd, we'd I mean, you went out and you signed Sean McCarthy, who yeah. seven appearances, one goal. Yeah. That yeah. was the difference. Now, even though I yeah. say that, I mean, you played Watford in, uh, it was in just before the end of the season. 1-1 one, one yeah. draw, again, at Ashton Gate. That game's memorable, and I remember reading about it just now when they played an American football game on the pitch <laughs> the preceding week and it looked a bloody yeah. mess that's the only word that can describe it yeah and that that was hugely embarrassing for me because Graham Taylor's come with a, with a great side we had a good side two with good teams playing good football playing together and playing on a pitch that was um I don't know just looked awful just it was not a football pitch for me it just looked shocking and and I I was really embarrassed and had to sort of apologise to Graham and to the Watford. So Graham people. was back at Watford by then, then? He I believe so. Got it, yeah. 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 And I, I, so I just had to, you know, as I say, explain, this is 
apologise for that and take, I'm the manager, I had to take that responsibility. But it was embarrassing for us as a football club and I didn't like it. Well, if you had a chief executive back then in those days, he should be the one doing apologising. Not you. Well, I mean, and that season, I'm looking at the pre the the, the, the lineup before you had good old Buster Footman, uh, another one who's yeah. savvy gone. What a character! But Terry Connor was alongside yeah. you, yeah. So he was your yes. assistant. I mean, was was, yeah. was that the first time he'd sat on the bench with anybody, Terry? Uh, Terry Connor, or, or or no? Had you had you brought no. him in because he had a brief Terry. spell with us about seven years previously as a player? Yeah, Terry Terry was working as a football in the community. At, um, at, at Bristol, and, and I, I saw him work. I saw him doing that, and invited him to come in with us at uh, Bristol Rovers, and, and and coach. and And he was an excellent coach and an excellent great person. and he, And he came in, and I, I came in with him when I came to Bristol City, and Terry worked there. So I, I, I really, I thought he was. I mean, still working now with Mick McCarthy at Cardiff, and, and has been involved in. In, in, in big things with, with Mick and, and obviously respected there as well. So good coach. Um, Terry, I'd then been at Wolves with Terry. I took Terry to Wolves as a coach as well and he worked there as a football coach. Very, very good. Got involved in the management side, didn't work for him, but as a coach, as, as a number two. Yeah, no, I've, I've met Terry class. a few times. He, he, yeah. He's a nice... He's a nice Absolutely. Uh, he's, he's a good guy. So I say the end of the season, you got up, I mean, typical Bristol City, and that's, you know, your time with them is relatively short in the overall scheme of things. But Bristol yeah. City, they love to lift you up and just let you down a little bit. <laughs> I know, lost the last game of the season away at yeah. Preston. Uh, if you'd have won it, I think you had a better goal difference than Watford. But any City fans that are listening haven't looked at the league table. That season, City at home, right? Remember, City fans, if you're listening to this, we haven't had decent home form for about four years, right? That season, the home, the 23 games at home, won 16, drew five, lost two, scored 41, let in 17, right? That was when it was Fortress Ashton Gate. And then away, yeah. won nine, drew five, lost nine. 85 points. That is pretty damn good. Okay, Cots did it some years later, you know, just one short of the ton. But that was a damn good season. And any City fan who's over 30 will remember that. And it was a really great... Uh, it was good football, lots of goals, good players and everything like that. Come the co-season then, so you've got them up. Uh, again, it's over 20 years ago now, but I remember it well. Again, it looks like they splashed the cash in the transfer market. And I've got here Ali Akinbae, 1.2 million from Gills, club record signing. Tony Thorpe, 800k from Fulham. Soren Anderson, 400k from, I think it's Dutch side, Alberg. Yeah. Um, Ivan Testimitanu, half a million quid from FC Zimbru, Moldavian international. Julian Watts, free chancellor from Leicester, and Carl Hutchins. You talk to any City fan back then as to what went wrong. You signed three, damn, not you, because you, you're given the money, but you know what was the rationale? You signed strength and depth in the forward line and you had lost Sean Gota. Yeah. And, and that was decent money. That's 20, 23 years ago now. Decent money on those three. But maybe one of those could have got, led to getting a better defender. So what was, you know, I know I can buy because I was doing club call back then and he was the first player. I remember when you signed him, he was on the pitch and he, he said, uh, oh, you better talk to my agent if you want to do an interview. 
right? But signing those three, yeah, Akinbai plus one of the other two would have said, yeah, that's great, and freed up some more money. So was that, with hindsight, was that good player acquisition that summer? Akinbai was a good acquisition, certainly. Yes. The, well, the other guys found it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other guys found it difficult um, to 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 sort of adjust, if you like, if that's the right word. Found it difficult to sort of get in the first team and make a uh, make a, a difference as as, as Adi Bay did. And I think that was that was the the, the problem. Then T Tony Thorpe was was not signed by me. Um, he signed for the club while I was on holiday. So that kind of gives you an insight as to one or two of the things that happened there. But you, just, you just wonder, I mean, it probably goes on more yeah. in football now than it did back then. But, you know, <clears throat> there's no chief executive there. There's no director of football. So that just seems a bizarre signing to sign somebody yeah. like that, doesn't it? Even though he's a good player. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, yeah. well, here he is. Yeah, well, I, I was of the view that, and this is nothing against the player because he's, he's a decent person, it's the, but I was of the view that I, I was looking to, to save some of the money that I'd been given to spend and see if I needed what position I needed to, to strengthen once we stepped up a level, because stepping up a level is, is, is fine. So great you've got there. And, 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 and with great respect, I was saying, well, will Sean Taylor and Sean Dice be okay in another level? Will we be? That might be a big position that I need to have some money to spend. And that was where I was looking to save some of that money. And, and Sean, and hadn't Sean packed in though in that close season yeah. as well? So he'd gone. Yeah. So, so that was the area that I needed to look at. And, and, I, and I wanted to look at it after four or five games um, before the deadlines came and things like that. And so can these can this position? This is a big position for me. Forwards are fine, but going, going, sort of getting a good centre back, like I, I felt I had done with Dyche and, and had with Sean Taylor, was can I? Do I need to replace that and improve that area? But um, that, that's that's where we, we left. I'm not blaming anything or anybody, but I, I with, with respect, I, I didn't want to spend that eight hundred thousand. Not that's not the player's fault, but and and, and I didn't. It, it, it was it was done elsewhere. It was a fait accompli. Okay, you don't need to say any more than that. I mean, Ivan Testimatanu, um, you know, again, unknown yeah. outside of the UK before you signed him. Was that when players were signed based on video clips or the statistics yeah. didn't exist then? But he was a good player. Again, another one who, had he not got injured, um, you know, things might have been different that year. But was, was, was he a, a signing that you sanctioned, would you say? Yeah, well, we had a we had a chief scout, as, as you know, and that was important. That was the information I was getting, and and and, got, and I went on that. Sometimes I I can't always get across to different countries and see players play, uh, and and have a look at people. But trying to do that, we had to work together as a staff and, and talk with Terry Connor and myself and other people and see if we could what we needed to do. And sometimes you to say the phrase "take a chance" is is not correct in terms of spending that much money but, but taking an opportunity to get a player in sometimes um, but you have to listen to your people that you work closely with and that, yeah. that's I'm not blaming people I'm not no. saying it but it happens well you've got to go you, you got the information put before and Chief yeah. Scout back then was that still Jot Ray or was he sort of more on the kids side of it back then he was on the kids side of it then it wasn't Jot Ray no no okay so anyway so the season started off I remember it started off with the uh, a 2-2 draw against uh, Oxford at home. And it, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, I think it's true to say that it was a difficult start. I think, did Sean get injured in the uh, first game of that season? I think he did, didn't he? I believe he, he did, yeah. I believe he did, yeah. Four, yeah. 
think he did, yeah. But he finally got that first win in the league at the uh, 10th attempt against Crew, a 5-2 win at home. Um, yeah. I think for many people then, that was a feeling that we, we'd adjusted. You must have felt the same as well. I can remember Adi Akinbae running to the crowd, raising his shirt, and he had a, um, a T-shirt on underneath, and it was, stick with us, we'll do it, type of thing, yeah? And mm, he, was, he, yeah. Was a good, he was a good lad. That, you must have thought then that that was, you know, it, it come on the back of just two defeats, because you, you, you'd drawn games, you'd lost the yes. previous two to uh, West Brom, and it was a 1-5-2. And yeah. then, in fact, you then went got a two-two, a one-all draw against Barnsley, a one-nil win, Mickey Bell penalty uh, up at Bury, drew against Portsmouth. Okay, lost at, at Port Vale. The, and again, City fans uh, will remember you said, "Yeah," and it takes a big man to do this. I could do with some help, and you what you wanted, and it's not rumor. I think it's fact, unless you say otherwise. You wanted Ray Halford to come. And give yes. you some support, yeah. Yes, yeah. Do you regret yeah. saying that at the time, or do you think you know it was a brave it was a brave thing to say, wasn't it, for for, for anybody well, to say that? It, it, it does for the people that don't trust you or doubt you or whatever. And I just think I don't know if you want me to say something else. I'm 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 lying, or I'm not I'm not telling the not telling the situation as it is, and I. I'd like to think I, I kind of don't do that. It's, I didn't see anything in wrong with it at the time because I, I'd been given permission to approach Ray Harford and bring him in. Ray was an experienced person. So he took that England under twenty one team as I said yeah. to you before. So he's got he he got a really good rep. And he was a coach. He's like like Terry Connor. You know that Ray was a coach and, and worked with people. And Terry Connor was very good at working with people and found that the, the, the management side of it a bit more difficult. And, yeah. and Ray was. What I saw is that I can manage, Rake and coach. We've now got this this good partnership going. There's there's a lot of good partnerships in the game, even to this this very day. So people working together, and that's what I was kind of looking for. We're stepping up a level now, myself as well, the players as well. What what can we do to strengthen that group? And and looking at it early in the in the season, I thought was was the right thing to do. I said, oh, right, I need I need some interior support. Not not helping that I didn't know what I was doing, but no, just, some just support extra support. To, like when you look yeah. at how many people are on the bench yeah. for a club like Bristol City today, just goalkeeping yeah. coaches and this, that, and the other. Yeah. It's just an extra, just an extra pair of eyes and what have you. Yeah. So, but so an, an I experience remember that time. And then, I mean, the game when we really thought, I think it was a Sky game as well. It was a Friday night against Bolton. Yeah. Um, yeah. A great game, you know, City. Played yeah. really, really well. And Bolton at the time were towards the top. We were starting to pull away from the bottom. Uh, Adiak Mbai, uh came from a goal down in that game. Adiak Mbai, another Mickey Bell penalty. Um, you know, and, and then I can remember because we were doing, you, you, I was doing club call and we spoke quite a lot in those days. And I remember yes. saying, you'd have the win. And I remember phoning you, we were going to do our normal chat. And you said that they'd gone out and brought. Somebody they were bringing somebody else in. This was Benny and Artson. Now, if they got out and bought in somebody like Joseph Vengloss or somebody with a track record abroad, but again, that seems as though it was a, a, a well, it was a decision that left City fans baffled. That's the only word to describe it. And I mean, how did yeah. they pitch it to you? Did they? And we won't, as you say, we won't name <laughs> okay. names. But they said we've got right. the help, and it's with the red capped Benny Lenartson. 
and you probably went, who? <laughs> yes. I, mean, I, did, I, <laughs> I did, with, with respect to him, I did. Um, but I, 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 we won the game, as you say, on the Friday night, and, and I, I sort of sat back on that and thought, crack, that's a good result, that, because just 12 games ago, they were, they were in the top level and we were in the third, the third level and we both, they got relegated and we'd gone up and come to the second level of English football. Yeah. And, 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 and I thought, we've done really well there because 12 games ago, we were, we were fighting two leagues apart. Yeah. So and I think they had a player sent off, which was, was to our favour as well in terms of that. But we'd, we'd won a game on a Friday night on TV, under pressure, etc. And, and, and I... And I, I, I just said, I'm just going to take a couple of days break now and leave, leave tomorrow to look at the results and see if what's gone and what hasn't gone and stuff like that. Didn't go to a game. Not that it mattered really, but it was un unlike me that I just, so I, I just I needed that couple of days break. Drove back in on the Monday morning, as I always did, stopped at the paper shop that I always stopped at, um, bought my newspaper, parked up at the stadium as I got in, just two or three parking positions down from the chairman opened the back page and it said that I was sapped the back page headline was John so, so you so you were actually you were actually sacked rather than <laughs> you didn't get a chance to work alongside Benny no and that no, was never no. it was like well, I never we met him, him in oh, was Terry still there at the time or yeah yeah I think Terry so. was and yeah I never met Benny I I, um, I picked up the papers, I said, just sat in my car and just opened up the back page thinking this would be pretty good today because we just won on Friday and we've, you know, this would be a good headline. And, and the headline was that I'd been sacked from the, the club. So well, I, it, went, it went well after that, didn't it? Because they lost the next <laughs> two games, nil well, five, one six. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to comment on that. No, 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 fair, no, but, no. But I, no. Well, I, as so, I say, the rest is history, but I mean, the fact of the matter is that you were at Bristol City from March 97 through to October 98. You had 84 games and you you had a win rate of 45%, which stacks up alongside any, uh, well, the vast majority of managers who have their time at Bristol City. So again, that, well, I say again, that, you must have been sick of the sight of Bristol then, because what with the way Rovers had uh, treated you? I guess when something like that happens, you take stock for a bit, don't you? Yeah. Well, there's there's, there's little choice in a way, and I'm not being facetious on that when I say that. But it's like, where where am I going to go now? What am I going to do now? How is it going to figure out? I, I I'm not a person that had to be the manager. It's good being the manager, and I I did it for 760 odd games at places, and and but but I could I could also. If I enjoyed my time working as a coach, as I'd done 10 years alongside with Graham Taylor from 30 to 40 years of age, then I, I, I'm fine. You know, I, I, I didn't have to be the guy in charge all the time. So I was, okay, I was, people knew that. But I was, so I wasn't just looking for the odd job here and on there. I, I, I went into to, to work with people. I, I went to different places for a short spaces of time. I went, actually went to Carlisle before I went as a manager to Carlisle. Did six weeks there working with, with, with on, on a, on a non-contract basis again. So I did four weeks, uh, three, two weeks, sorry, at Southend United once, just helping out and being being yeah. around as a coach. We well, had a name so, in the game. You had a name in the fun. game anyway, so you were never not yeah. going to have um, an opportunity to get back into it. And, and that you did. I mean, again, your time at Cheltenham, yeah. very successful. Yeah. Two hundred and seven games in charge there got them 
promoted. Yeah. A nice little club, Cheltenham, I would imagine. Yes, yeah, so you, you yeah. enjoyed that time there. Really good club with, with really good people, good chairman and good people working within the football club. And I think the chairman's changed now, but the, the chief exec's still there now and people like that. Been, it's, it's their sort of lifestyle. And uh, I, I remember losing a little run of games and, uh, and, and ring, uh, the chairman rang me. I'd got, I'd got home uh, and, and the chairman rang me about eight o'clock and my wife answered the phone and said, the chairman's on the phone. Okay, right. Here we go. And, and I went to, went to the phone and said, chairman, all right? He went, yes, how are you? And I said, I'm, I'm fine, chairman, thank you. Waiting for the next line. He said, I just want you to know, John, that if I can do anything to help you, he said, I realise you're working hard. It's not quite going out for you at the moment. If you want me to help, then speak to me. I'm, I'm here. I want, I'm on your side. And I went, wow. And I, I've kind of filled up a bit and, and thinking about that. And you think, wow, that what a fantastic thing for a chairman to do. And that gave, that reinstalled, if you like, my, my confidence to get right. I can get back in and get on with this. And, and that was, like I said, that was the kind of difference that he was a very supportive chairman of, of, of what I was trying to do. And and, and he and I certainly got close, but we were close enough in football terms to discuss things privately with each other and let each other know. So yeah. I got good support there and that allowed me to, to develop. Yeah, well, successful time there. Then period yeah. with Carlisle, Colchester as well. Back to Bristol Rovers for uh, yeah. a second uh, a second spell with uh, them. And, you know, you did, I mean, they were in danger, I think, of going down. So you did, uh, you did a yeah. good job in that second half of that season I think you had a yeah. 23 games to save them and took them from virtual going down to well 50% win ratio but yeah. that second spell at Rovers is it always a good thing to go back a second time somewhere or or, or, or not really? Uh, pe people say that but I, I, I was gone I'd gone there with the view that yeah can you help us get out of this and I and I I had an, you know, an affinity with the club and, and, and it was the same chairman, etc. And, and, I, and I went, yeah, I'll come and help you out if I can. But yeah, it's six months and see what I can do for you. And I, I just remember going in there and working on, on the back four pretty much every day of the week, the defending side of the game. And this is what we've got to do, because I think we were minus 21 by Christmas, which was, which was you know, the relegation in itself, if you like. So we had to improve that. And I, I remember friends of mine in the game saying, oh, how you get, who are you playing tomorrow? Go, we're playing away. So yeah, gonna, I've got you down for a draw. I went, yeah, that's okay. And, and it was kind of that thing. We weren't going to win lots of games, but we could, we could stop getting beat. And that was the important thing. We got within a couple of games. We got within about four or five games, I think, at the end of the season, and we weren't going to go down. And I, I was quite willing to go and move away, move back and, and come out of it. And the chairman persuaded me to stay not not financially but just in the way that he would give, yeah, give it start us off next season yeah yeah and, and and i and i did it on the basis that can i if i can bring in an assistant that i can develop into becoming the manager then i'm going to move to one side i'll step out then and he said yeah that's fine so that was an, an experience and that's when daryl clark came in there yeah. yes is that right yeah Okay. Yeah, I brought in Daryl Clark, who's, who's gone on and done, had a good career for himself and done, done very well at different places. Um, and and uh, so he's at Port Vale now, actually. So Darren came in and we, we, we worked together. We got, I, I, was, I was struggling a bit by, by the middle of the season and sort of thinking I've got to step down because I, I was finding life more difficult. I was getting older and 
yeah. things that happened, and personal things that happened, and what have you. And and I and I went to the board with about ten games to go and said, look, you need to change it now. Give put Daryl in charge, and I'll step I'll step out and do the the director of football role, whatever that is, and and, and step out of it. He's got the he's got the uh, the ambition. He's also got the energy and etc. The youth to go and get get hold of this football club, and he's been with us all the time, and he's and he's good. Yeah. And, they and I'm not blaming anybody here, but they they declined for another three or four games, and then suddenly they made the decision. Daryl stepped up, John stepped down, and 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 it, and, it, and, and, it, and we we missed it out. Obviously, we got beat on the last game of the season. I, I found life really difficult then, going to the game and being in a suit, being sat with the directors, and not because of, I was, but I was, it wasn't my position. I was I was a tracksuit guy and 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 whatever, and it wasn't something I was. Enjoying obviously and, and seeing the team not win games. And I think we only won one and got beat on the last game of the season at home and all all crazy stuff let loose at the ground on that day, which is is awful. But fortunately, Daryl was the was the right person. He was the they right person, the and he got them back up. He got them back straight up straight away. Which I was so delighted. Since then, when we spoke, I said, "What are you What are you up to now, John? You're working doing stuff for the League Managers Association, yeah. which is keeping you." Uh, yeah, keeping you busy. Tell us a little bit about the work you do with with them. Okay, well, there's a number of different things. I, I we there's a group of us that um, uh, we, we we look after managers, younger managers, and people with, within the game, and, and we we sort of put to them do, do you want to do you want someone to help you with, with any decisions, any situations? Because what what you find as a manager, it's great when somebody knocks on the on your door as a manager that that the, you've got to make a decision. And the, the easy one is, do you want a cup of tea? Someone says, yeah, yes, please, I will have one of those. But it's like, can I, if I manage the player, can, can I see you for a couple of minutes, Gaffer? Uh, what does he want? What's it about? What's the team selection? That's down to you. Who do you speak to after that's down to you? Who do you talk to? And, and we've sort of said as the league, league managers that these, these younger managers need somebody to talk to that we never have. You know, my, my first job at York was was great and but I went in my office I got no windows in the office it was under the stand and it was it was a biggish office and I sat on my own I thought oh, what do I do now and I, I used to ring managers up I rang Bobby Gold up one day and I said Bobby I've got this situation what do you think I think he was at West Brom at the time and, and I, I wanted a bit of help yeah and I, we're, we're, we're trying to do that for these guys because if I, if I went to the chairman like you've just said was it the wise thing to do to say you needed some help then possibly not <laughs> but but, but a, back then, back then, yeah. you know that was that's how it was, wasn't it? You yes, know, it, it was. was a yeah. Very in, yeah. more of an intimate relationship so, now. So yeah. So, so I mean, so, so doing... you're in a you're in a situation then, as you say, you're doing that. It's advisory, which is which is interesting. Yeah. And you look at the situation yeah. Bristol City had with with Dean Holden. Now Dean yeah. came. I work uh, well. I I work with Dean at Walsall because I, oh, did, course, some, yeah. I did some. I did some work there with the under twenty ones at Walsall, and Dean came in as a coach, so I know Dean pretty well. So, and he, I mean, I, I think I don't know what happened with the recruitment of uh, Ashton in, in the summer of last year after Lee had gone, but yeah. you know, Dean, I guess they felt that by giving him Keith Downing and Paul Simpson, they were yeah. giving him that help, but. To some extent, somebody like you, I'll call it a senior statesman in football, yeah, yeah. A, a, yeah. a championship club. You almost, and, and they haven't been involved in club football, either of those two guys. They've been moderately successful within the FA. Yeah. 
that he probably could have done with a director of football helping him out rather than being yeah. thrust in with a championship team that had these aspirations. So he was almost over-promoted. And the fact that he's now ended up at Stoke, which he said he was approached for last summer, that's not a bad move for him working under Michael O'Neill because he'll learn there, won't he? Absolutely, Will. And, and he, he and I had a good uh, relationship when he was at Walsall and working there. We would sit and chat, chat about all sorts of football situations. He wanted to learn, he wanted to listen, he wanted to talk and, and had good stories himself, really. And we, we, we're, we're good friends and we, we, got on, we got on pretty well. So, yeah, and, and, and I, I look back and I say, mine and think I could have done with that. I, yes, I could, I could ring Graham Taylor and I could ring Bobby Gould, as I've said, and, and what have you. But we, we, we visit these managers now. We go and see them. So we, we, I go and see my manager, if you like, and I'm looking after her and say, look, I'll be up. What time suits you? Come in, yeah, get there. And we sit on our own in his office, or just him and I with a cup of tea. And he can tell me anything he likes about his situation at the football club. That, that must be quite fulfilling as well, really, because yeah. you almost become a confidant for them. Yeah, yeah. Because you might but have I, an I, issue. You might even have an issue with one of his coaches that yeah, the way absolutely because they've got such big coaching teams. Yeah, yeah. And but he he has to trust you as well that you're not yeah. going to go but, gas bagging or anything like that. David, look at it this way: if I go gas bagging, I'm not in that job. Correct. So I, I, I'm there to be trusted. I'm from the LMA. That's a that's a massive institution. It's a, yeah. a very proud institution of people, and and I that I, I could never do that. So I I, I have to, I'm trusted by these guys, and, and because I've been around a little while, yeah. you know they they've got to know me maybe anyway. So it's just chatting. That what what have you got? What do you think? I've got this problem with the chairman. Okay, well, tell me about it. Yeah, and, and then. And, and, you know, where does he go if he's got this? You know, I, I've said before, you go and talk to the chairman and he thinks you, you're not sure about where your job is. You talk to your staff and they start to worry about you. And so you've got to have a private confidant to go and, and discuss things with. And that's, that's, that's where I come from. So that's, it's, that's, uh, that's, that's really, that is really interesting doing a job like that yeah. because it brings all your wealth of the game. I mean, yeah. If you look at, I mean, you're long gone from Bristol City now. If you look, I mean, after Scott uh, came, I think, John Laycock, and then we've had Steve Lansdowne in charge. I mean, Bristol City, yeah. probably one of the richest UK, uh, re re well, he's not resident in the UK, he's in Guernsey, but Steve Lansdowne's, we've said, if you took at infrastructure and funding losses, he's put a quarter of a billion, probably, into mm -hmm. this football club. Yeah, and that's the infrastructure as well. Yeah. Are you surprised that City haven't achieved what they were looking to achieve 20 years ago? They came close to it under Gary Johnson. I think yeah. Lee Johnson was over-promoted. The, the chairman even admitted on a, another podcast a couple of weeks ago that Lee Johnson persuaded uh, him that he was the right man for the job. But if you look at the money that's been thrown in, are you surprised they haven't got there yet when the likes of Hull have been there twice, Cardiff, Swansea, Burnley, Bournemouth? That's just naming a few off the top of my head. Yeah, on the basis of those few that you've mentioned there, yeah, they, they, they should be in that, that group of people, that group of clubs and saying, yes, they, they, they should have got there and, and done that. But it's it's the hardest, I think, the, the thing for any football club or any, to to. to to get there and maintain something. Now is an unbelievable time of the season with six, seven games left for people. And, and 
sort of the, 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 the areas are so close together. I mean, one point, two points, you win a game, you you win two or three on the trot. I remember my, my time at Cheltenham and going through when we got to the playoffs and got promoted. I, I remember saying to the staff, don't, don't, I said, don't quote me on this just yet, but I, I can't stop this happening. We're going really well. We're winning games. The, the, the mood's brilliant. Don't stop what we're doing. You know, yes. I said that to the, to the staff. We, we sat and had a, had a cup of tea and, I said, and, and if, if things need adjusting, give me a shout. But don't just keep, let's keep supporting what we're doing. And the group of players believed in what they were doing. And you, that's, that side of it is what you need. But like you say, to, to get that is, is really awkward and really difficult. And the higher you go, the more difficult it's got, which is where I'm going right back to the beginning of our chat when you said about Graham Taylor finishing in second place with Villa and second place with Watford. Was a fantastic achievement to take that those football clubs into those positions. It's it's extremely difficult, and I wouldn't criticise anybody if, if they don't quite make it. But you'd like to think it's all about fine margins, isn't it? I mean, yes, Nigel absolutely. Pearson. You probably know Nigel yeah. Pearson as a player and yeah. as uh, and as uh, and, and as a manager as well. Yeah. Um, he's joined the club. It's not yes. been confirmed. He's not had the greatest of, uh, you know, if you give him the Middlesbrough game, he's had, I think he's got 12 points from 11 games and he just spoke to the players before the game or you look at it, it's uh, nine points from 10 games or something like that. Uh, in the eyes of Bristol City fans, he's the man. He's walked into a situation where there's 12 players out of contract. You've yeah. got players that have cost the club 15 million that are being allowed to walk away for nothing, key one being yep. from Aradeju. What you know of Nigel Pearson, and it's probably from afar rather than uh, uh, than, than, than as, a, as a mate. I don't know, as a mate. But do you think he's got the credentials? Well, he has, hasn't he, in his track record. He's got, he's got the credentials. And he's already said, if City leave it until the end of the season, he said there's a massive job to be done here. And, yes. you know... It, it, they they should either do it they should do it now because we're safe from relegation now but he yes. he he is the first manager since I'll say Danny Wilson because I said this to Danny the other week Steve Copper wasn't here long enough but he's the first manager with a track record that should could take them to that where they want to be but then who knows football financially and we've got to talk briefly just to wrap up about European Super League. You know, it's a whole new ball game going forward, isn't it? Even even at championship level, I think it is. Yeah, and 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 it's it's not been easy for clubs at all levels with no no support coming in and no cash coming in and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So you've got a you've got a wealthy backer, as you've just said. Now, whether that can maintain itself and keep it going, then that'll be put to the test. I think in in this summer, like you just yeah. said, with a lot of players out of contract and things like that. So there's a there's a big job. He's, he's, a man, he's not a man. He'll tell it as it is, Nigel Pearson. That's just my yes. impression as a as an outsider, and and that's what's worrying some of the fans that look, you've got a good man, and well, you really need to to do something. But it'd be very interesting, John. We've talked about football in very club specific and career basis. Just wrap up on uh, a few points of general interest. Um, football in empty stadiums, uh, home advantage appears to have gone out of the window by and large. <laughs> although recently, I questioned that. Referees have been less, certainly at lower level. I mean, it was a crap decision in our game at the weekend, but referees, they're not under so much pressure 
as they were, are they, with people baying for decisions? What's, what's your view on football in empty stadiums and the impact of referees? Yeah, I think, I think that what you've just said there with fans baying for a decision and, and with that, I think they've got a bit of a little bit of time to sort of think about a decision. Not, not they don't have a lot of time because things happen so fast and quickly in football. But they they don't have the, the sort of the, the pressure, if you like, because I think the crowds also intimidate the players. So it's not just the referees. So if the referee makes a decision that the team disagrees with, it can be surrounded very quickly by. It can still happen now, but if the crowd are with it as well, it becomes a, a bit of an issue. I think being a referee is a tough and, and difficult situation. I, uh, I, I can look at I can look at things as a manager or a coach and and rewind it, stop it, look it back as it's it, check it out. Did he touch that? Has it gone in? Has it gone over the line? Blah, blah. And you've got that as a as a referee or a linesman, you've got split second decisions to make. Your concentration levels have got to be massive and have got to be absolutely on the job for the full ninety minutes plus the half time period because things can happen in that time as well where you're in your dressing room, where you sort of someone's saying something to you or someone's done something, then the mind situation is really difficult. I think it's one of the most difficult jobs in the game is being a, an, an official at a, at a football match, whether there's 30,000 baying for my, my blood or a decision from me or an empty stadium. And linked to referees, what's your view on VAR? Because that seems to be, you know, you don't know whether... Uh, yeah. you know, it's done on an elbow or even a kneecap. Yeah. I mean, do you think VAR, uh, you know, I mean, in our match at the weekend, there was a handball, Henry Lansbury. It, I, I've looked at it three or four times. Yeah. And it, he, he put his hand up and it hit the bar, but it literally probably hit the bar just above his fingertips. Yes. He gets sent off. Okay, yeah. the penalty's missed, but we're down to 10 men yeah. for, for 70 minutes. Yeah, we've still got a draw. Um, VAR a good thing? Is it it's still got teething problems? Do you think it should be maybe like in tennis where you're allowed two or three appeals in a game if you're a captain just to keep it down? What's your what's your thoughts on that? I think I think it's a good introduction, but I think like you're saying there, I think it still needs its, it's time to, to to renew it. I, I I'm a cricket fan as well as a football fan, and 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 I look at that sometimes. They they show you these catches. Did he get his fingers under the ball as it bounced? Is, is he out? Is he out? And and they can look at that for ages, and still you're thinking, I'm not sure myself. And I think football's the same. They're doing it by by millimeters, aren't they now? Where it's just that bit. Is it just over the line? There was one the Arsenal Fulham game last yesterday, and which I watched, and you think, gosh, that's that's really tight. Is he? Is his leg offside? Is his shin pad offside? Where do you where do you do it? They they do it to the millimeter and say, look, yeah, his his toe is just over that line. We've got to give it. And, and yeah, but but where are you going to draw the line? You're going to say leave that, David, and say, well, you've got to make it a different level or a different area. And I think it's a still a, a, a strange, difficult thing to 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 introduce. It must be difficult for the actual referee on the game because oh. he's the guy that's got to take information in his ear of somebody who's sat miles away and looking at it in a totally different way than, than, than he is. So uh, I'm OK with it, but there's like everything else, it's going to have it. It's got its problems. Yeah, and it could be improved. I guess you could improve it by making it easier and sort of say there has to be a clear daylight. Because as you say, with the mini milliseconds, yeah. it's the frame speed of the camera. That, you yeah. know, a lot can happen. Can and and yeah. then obviously big news uh, today. Um Last week, there was talk of the Champions League being restructured. But lo and behold, today, we wake up, or yesterday afternoon, it breaks that Associate 
top six clubs. I mean, if you're yeah. Everton, you're going to feel a bit miffed off about that. And you've got Arsenal midway in the table. Top six clubs, breakaway league, think they can get away with it. And what, what's, you know, is this is this the, the price we're paying now for foreign owners and the fact that fan revenue through the gate doesn't really matter to some of these people? possible it's possible that's a part of the cost but it's all financial i've got no doubt about that this is it's a financial sport and it's geared and pushed by that but i i want to know more about the things that they're resigning from different places within within the european sort of areas of football at the moment that was before i came on and chatted to you i'm looking at that and said people and Clubs and clubs are coming out of this and coming up. Do you think and, and their, their chairman or their owners are coming off from positions that they hold within European football? And where's this going to end? Is, is this going to actually happen now? Do you think it's because serious it's, this time? Because that is I think news I've I think not heard. So the certain people are resigning from bodies because in the past yeah. they've used it as a bargaining tool, haven't they? Yes, yeah, to, yeah. To, to do that. Some, some of these owners, yeah, they're coming out of European bodies and things like that. They've been on a, on committees of etc. And before we came on and chatted to you, so I'm sure it's it's moved on even a pace now that, that that we've you know that we've been chatting. So I think there's a heck of a lot to do, but it sounds like a heck of a lot has already been done, which is quite amazing that that it hasn't sneaked out somewhere prior to today, but today's a massive day at the moment. Do you, do you think it's feasible to make it work almost by saying, okay, let's assume there's a 20 club, there's a 20 club European league, yeah? yeah. And the you know, if there's, if there's feed-in from four different country FAs that, you know, you if you're the bottom English team in that club, and you could be the bottom English team and be fourth or the top, well, bottom English team and be sixth in a 20-person league and still come down. You've got to have, to make a league competitive and fresh, you've got to have some sort of promotion and relegation, haven't you, really? And if they not gonna, did that... They're not going to have that, are they? Mm. That, what, that's what I mean. If they did that, you could say, all right, it's a different league. And do you think... I mean, I hope it doesn't happen, but, you know, you, as you say, we hope for lots of things. Do you think you could almost see football in the EFL being structured so you have a Prem 1 and a Prem 2 and then regional leagues the next tier down because how some of these yeah. clubs like Bristol Rovers who are debt free but there's lots of clubs that have had no revenue coming in you know, I'm surprised that half a dozen haven't gone to the wall already but do you yeah. think there is a big reset and this is sort of tip of the iceberg as to what's going to happen over the next six months well, something will have to change because if, if those six clubs from the Premier League move out, move out of it, then you're going to leave that with 14 clubs. So that's that's not a viable proposition for, for the other clubs in there. But they're they're saying today that people like like Spurs haven't done certain things in Europe that the other clubs have and things like that. And, and it's just the whole thing's in discussion. But it will have to be a restructure somewhere, I think, David, because, like you say, 14 clubs in the top league is not going to be a viable proposition. So where do they get the next six from? So, if they're, but you know, like we said this morning, Portsmouth are a big club, but they're two levels below that and stuff yeah. like that. Ips well, that's where you do it by, level, but, but it's almost but like, be, yeah, if you, well, I think if you do anything by invitation, yeah. it stinks, yeah? And what you could say is that, yeah. you know, if they did go, you'd say, well, the top six in the bottom three don't come down, but the top six go up, yeah? And over the fullness of time, you would think the yeah. cream would float to the top, wouldn't you? Yeah? 
Because look what happened with Glasgow Rangers, you know, they came so. up. Yeah. Then you got to look at a club like Portsmouth and yeah. Crikey and Ipswich, you know, Ipswich, Portsmouth. They're all clubs yeah, but, that you know, at a higher you're level would get you're saying, that, you're saying that. If you're saying that about the top six, then why, why is it not the top six of the Premier League? Because this year, West Ham could be in there. Oh, I know. West City, yeah, I know. West that's, City that's, could that's, be in there. That's the stupidity so, of it. That is isn't stupidity. it just so, yeah. That, that's the excitement of the league, is that Leicester City have got to this cup final and, and also gone, could, could be in the top four, if you like. And, and so could you know, Leicester City can do that. They, 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 they can do that with West Ham. And, talking about West Ham being in the top four and getting yeah. into Europe. Fantastic achievement if it happens, and, and that, but that would mean that Arsenal are not going to do that. But the inside Arsenal, who are sitting tenth or so, wherever it is in the Premier League, into the Super League, is that right? No, no, yeah, I don't know. No, hundred so, percent, because it's the owners yeah. talking. It's it's yes, almost it like it's almost like franchise football because you know this was yes. rooted a few years yeah. ago, playing one game a year in yeah. New York. Well, next season, yeah. one game a year in New York, one in LA, one in yeah. one in Beijing, you know, yes. one in Dubai. And yeah. okay, well, let those six clubs go off, and maybe you know, it'd be like the Scottish Premier League, you know, if you know yeah. it's going to be Glasgow Rangers, and maybe it'd be <laughs> nice to see what's left. I don't know, it's really interesting. John, it's been a pleasure talking. As I say, I enjoyed dealing with you when you were manager. Uh you, you gave us a great end of one season and a stunning uh, season of promotion, 97-98. Uh, you don't appear to have lost any of your enthusiasm for the game. Not the time, either. no. Uh, it's, it's, it's your, I mean, I've been watching this lockdown here for 53 years. And <laughs> I have to say last summer, having had, I mean, I always feel with us, ever since the Man United-Man City game, which is three, over, just over three years ago now, we haven't really progressed, you know, we've had great starts and fallen away. Yes. Um, but it's like football, it's a drug, you can't get away from it. And uh, I've oh. enjoyed talking to you and I'm going to talk to others of your uh, your era. It's been great. Thank you, Thank you very man. much for your time. Here we go. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you still the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. All the McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? Our participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and time supply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.